Here we are on the back half of the last Ron Show of the year, 2022. It is Friday, December 30th, and I'm your host, Ron Roberts, the America One Radio app, AmericaOneRadio.com, our lovely home. We appreciate them giving us this opportunity, weekdays, 5 until 6 p.m. And I want to thank you as well for giving me the opportunity to grow this show and hopefully become a part of your daily commute home if you're one of those 9 to 5ers or if you just made this a part of your daily activity, your daily digest of information and opinion, I am humbled. Cannot thank you enough for that. In an era where we're seeing local journalism die on the vine, back in my hometown, the daily newspaper, the Augusta Chronicle, which I've never been a fan of the editorial page because it's a conservative-leaning paper, but I used to actually work for that newspaper in high school in the sports department. It was the Augusta Chronicle that gave me the opportunity to cover the Masters, college and high school football, basketball, minor league baseball. That's that's really hard. Anyway, the Augusta Chronicle is uh, withering away on the vine because print media, print newspapers are kind of dying anyway. But also back home, you look at the TV landscape and... Channel 12 and Channel 26 are now 12 and 26. (laughs) So they're the same news bureau. Channel 6 used to be Channel 6 and 54. I think they were all under the... It's just everything's gotten homogenized and so many uh, voices now under one roof and under, you know, one collective arm. The Columbia County News Times was the county uh, news of record. Uh, in my hometown. It's going away. And in all honesty, it, it was gone long ago anyway, because it got bought up by the Augusta Chronicle. And so they would literally just publish a Wednesday, two, four page, maybe uh, insert with a lot of local hometowny, nothing, you know, puff piece sort of stuff. Anyway, you might get an additional look at the county high school athletic programs, but it it was defanged long ago. Uh, I know that because I actually used to write for them on occasion too and was featured in their papers uh, a time or two. It's all going away. I, I bring this up because I think it's worth pointing out that the George Santos story is a story that local news was covering in Long Island. New York, and it was being mostly ignored. It was there all along, and it was being ignored. As I ironically read this from the Washington Post, months before the New York Times published a December article suggesting the rep-elect George Santos, Republican of New York, had fabricated much of his resume and biography, a tiny publication on Long Island was ringing alarm bells about its local candidate, the North Shore leader wrote in September, when few others were covering George Santos, about his, quote, inexplicable rise in reported net worth, from essentially nothing in 2020 to as much as $11 million two years later. Continuing here from this article in the Washington Post, the story noted other oddities about the self-described gay Trump supporter with Jewish heritage who would go on to flip New York's 3rd Congressional District from blue to red and is now under investigation by authorities for misrepresenting his background to voters. Interestingly, Santos shows no U.S. real property in this financial disclosure, although he has repeatedly claimed to own 
mansions in Oyster Bay Cove on Tiffany Road and a mansion in the Hamptons on Dune Road, managing editor Maureen Daly wrote in the North Shore Leader. For a man of such alleged wealth, campaign records show that Santos and his husband lived in a rented apartment in an attached row house in Queens. The North Shore Leader, y'all. Local journalism. The Washington Post goes on to mention, however, the leader reluctantly endorsed Santos' Democratic opponent the next month, saying, This newspaper would like to endorse a Republican, but Santos is so bizarre, unprincipled, and sketchy that we cannot. He boasts like an insecure child, but he's most likely just a fabulist. A fake. Now, I honestly don't know if endorsements in local newspapers mean a damn thing anymore. I really don't. We're we're such a divided country. And knowing the bent, the editorial bent of the newspaper that provides the endorsement usually leads us to think, well, of course they endorse that candidate. It sounds like, and I don't know the first thing about the North Shore leader, it sounds like the North Shore leader really wanted to endorse a Republican because they probably endorse Republicans on the regular. But even they couldn't come to terms with endorsing George Santos. And this brings me back to what happened here with the winding down of the 2022 cycle and the Stacey Abrams campaign. All right, now listen. Last segment, I ticked off the Bernie folks, so here I am about to tick off (laughs) the Stacey folks. Well, I have an audience in 2023. Tune in on Monday. (laughs) No, it's just interesting that in the days leading up to the general election, there were local stories, here in Atlanta anyway, that talked about the Abrams campaign holding back on spending, that maybe they had a money problem. And even I, sort of dismissed it. No, she can't have a money problem. She's Stacey Abrams. She's got money coming in from all over the country, all over the world. Stacey Abrams, she's got money. And yet, it wasn't that Abrams wasn't able to bring money in. It's that the Abrams campaign wasn't really good at spending the money and budgeting correctly, prioritizing. And I'll give credit where credit is due. On last Sunday's Georgia Gang, which airs locally, I've not told you this before, on Fox 5 WAGA television, 8.30 Sunday mornings, it's it's my my morning get-up show. Make my coffee, watch the Georgia Gang. Our dear friend Melita Easters is on it routinely. Looking forward to having her on in 2023 as well. And by the way, I've tried to get this guy on, Theron Johnson. I got to give him credit. Theron Johnson who is as true blue as they come. He said what needed to be said about being honest within our own ranks sometimes. We know Republicans are bad about it. I mean, they said not word one about all of Trump's shortcomings until after he was out of office. And even then, not many of them were forthright. Even after the insurrection, some who were went back to licking boots. But that 2022 midterm assemblage of losses from his endorsed candidates, especially those in the Senate, oh, that just opened the floodgates. Now they're ready to talk about them, talk real about them. But Democrats also kind of have a checkered history when it comes to that as well. 
It's sort of hard to ignore, by the way, that the margin of victory for Brian Kemp against Stacey Abrams isn't all that different than the margin of victory for Nathan Deal over Jason Carter eight years ago in 2014. Back in 2014, Jason Carter, the grandson of Jimmy Carter, got 44.9% of the vote. Stacey Abrams, this last election cycle, got 45.9% of the vote. And I know you might be thinking, Ron, last segment you said we can't let Nina Turner and David Sirota, Sirota, I should say, criticize Pete Buttigieg. Yeah, it's not really what I mean. What I mean is, if you're going to criticize Pete Buttigieg for the Southwest Airlines fiasco, I need you to quantify how he's to blame, other than just carrying over a grudge. I don't, I don't mind honest criticism within our ranks. I think, I think that's healthy. I think that's something we have to do. It's something that we really needed the Republican Party to do from 2015 on, and they didn't. And we all, as a country, as a human society on this planet, paid the price because they didn't do the housekeeping they needed to do within their own tent. I'm just saying, whereas the Nina Turners and the David Sirotas have this axe to grind that, to me, it's sort of inexplicable. 2016, I got problems. 2020, eh, I don't, I, I don't, I don't really think Pete was all that out of bounds. I mean, he said some things that people say in the heat of a primary against other folks on the dais, even Joseph R. Biden. Hell, Kamala Harris. She probably said the most vitriolic thing about Joe Biden. He wound up making her the vice president. Now, I I agree with what Theron said uh, about pointing out the, the pimples and the poxes on our own skin sometimes. Stacey Abrams had an opportunity to grow from her 2018 campaign and win in 2022. And instead, really screwed the pooch. And here in Atlanta, anyway, we had good journalism covering that. The AJC were all over it. Patricia Murphy, Greg Bluestein, they were all over that story. And we dismissed it. I mean, I get it. It was just days before Election Day, so we're not going to start beating up our own candidate. But we should have been seeing some of this problem from within the campaign, and rectifying it. I, for one, kept saying, boy, we sure are spending a lot of time and money in some very safe company instead of trying to grow her brand and the party's brand in some outlying exurban and rural counties. Now, does my saying that somehow damage her? No, it's constructive advice. It's not a criticism. Well, I guess it is, a, but it's constructive. It's not... Oh, she's terrible because she's just placating to the inner city. No, I just was saying, sure would be nice if you'd go to Gainesville, Dalton, Valdosta, Vidalia. Republicans in New York State and Long Island and in George Santos District did a pretty piss-poor job of paying attention to local journalism. Apparently, Democrats didn't take very good advantage of it up there either. We have to. We have to respect good journalism because... And I tell this to folks on the left and the right. 
The truth just has a liberal bias. Facts, data, science, math, they have a liberal bias. And journalists are charged with just telling folks what's the truth. And if we believe that, we have to respect that. We have to act on it, even if it sometimes means that what the journalists are telling us doesn't look good for us. If you ask me, that's something that we as Democrats in the state of Georgia have to make one of our resolutions for 2023. We are going to do better in supporting good local journalism. And even if it doesn't make us look good, at least digest it, give ourselves a minute, and then focus on what it's telling us and how we can rectify what it's telling us. I mean, when I say this fact right here, it makes a lot of people upset, but I'm going to say it anyway, and I'm going to say it probably for the fifth time since I launched this show. Georgia's not a blue state, y'all. It may not even be a purplish blue state. It may not even be a dead-on, down-the-middle purple state. And the Stacey Abrams percentage of vote tells me that. We've gained one percentage point since 2014. No, I don't believe that's the case. I believe some shortcomings within that campaign exacerbated that. But I don't think we're also yet to the point where we can just kick back and say, oh, John Ossoff will win re-election. He won. Reverend Senator Warnock won in 2020 because they ran against awful candidates with an awful presidential candidate atop the ticket, who then said, don't bother voting in the runoff because it's all rigged. That really had a lot to do with 2020. Yes, they were good candidates. Yes, they are good senators. And we are lucky to have them. But that's not why they won. Not the only reason they won. And in 2022, a really good man, a moral center, a reverend for crying out loud, an incumbent who has the incumbency in his sails, ran against a former football star who's pretty famous for being a former football star on the Republican side. And he had to go to a runoff to win it. That tells you right there, Democrats still have more work to do. We can't just sit back and wait for more Californians to move here in the movie industry to flip us blue. We got to work internally and organically. We have to have the Fulton County Democratic Party adopt, I don't know, a Raven County Democratic Party, a sister county party collaboration of some sort to grow voters out of undecideds and non-participants in a county like Raven County. And for goodness sake, when good journalism tells us there are issues within our own camp, man, let's not just dismiss it. Figure out a way to speak to it in an appropriate manner that doesn't dismiss the journalist or the journalistic channel or medium, and then address it. Because when we dismiss journalism, we already know the other side's dismissed journalism, and journalism dies. And the same can be said for calling out bad journalism, even when it's on our side. I, for one, am not a huge fan of Joy Reid. Joy Reid really has this axe to grind with Bernie Sanders. It's misguided based in the 2016 race and all the discrepancies from side to side about how that wound up being. But when she does come out with something right, which is more often than not, I'll give her credit, that I got to... I got to not dismiss her because she's Joanne Reed, and I don't like Joanne Reed. To summarize, 2022 was not a turning point for the Democratic Party like they thought it was going to be in Georgia, and yet we still kept the Senate seat, mostly because they ran an awful candidate. We're not there yet, Democrats. We have to keep trying, and the way we've been going at it isn't going to make it happen any faster. The Abrams race was the canary in the coal mine, and 
Let's support good local journalism, even if it sometimes puts out a story we don't like. More on show after this.